0: Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, sober Dave. Each week I will be talking to some incredible guests and I hope by hearing each episode they will offer you a valuable source of inspiration and insight. From incredible life stories to a variety of important subjects, all to help you with your quest to change your relationship with alcohol. All of my guests are at different points in their journeys, and each of them have powerful and uplifting stories and information to share. I hope you enjoy the show. Don't forget to subscribe, and of course, leave a review. My guest today on One for the Road is Heather Colkin, and I will say from the beginning that this is an extremely powerful and emotional interview, and I urge you to listen because Heather has been so brave enough to share it. She now regularly talks about the devastating harms and effects of alcohol, raising awareness in the hope that it will help others with this terrible addictive substance. Don't forget I'm partnering up with Coach Helen Bennett who helps people with their disordered eating and she's offering all of my listeners 10% off of any of her courses, classes and even her private coaching programs. Please go to her website at helenbennett.co Enter the promo code SOBERDAVE to claim your 10% discount now. Good morning, Heather. Welcome to my show, One for the Road. Um, it's a different episode this week, so I'm truly grateful that you've decided to come on and share your story today. Firstly, how are you?
1: I'm good, thank you. And um, thanks for inviting me on. It's a privilege um, to be on your wonderful podcast.
0: Oh, thank you very much. So we're going to do it slightly differently today. And I thought we could um, start to cover about when uh, you started to experience alcohol in your life. I was about 14 and the majority of people I speak to are around the same. But I believe you was a little bit of a late bloomer, right?
1: I was, yeah. I mean, I was about 16, 17. Um, before that, I mean, I had a childhood around alcohol Um alcohol. I've got a Scottish father, so obviously, you know, there's going to be alcohol in the house. Um, and I, I, you know, it was a usual thing. It was a normal thing that they had a couple of drinks at night. Um, but for me, every time I tasted alcohol, um, I didn't like it, but it tasted disgusting. Um, so I can even remember being about 13, 14 years old and uh, my mum buying me, because I think it was a special occasion, alcohol free wine. Um, to fit in. So for me, alcohol was something you did as an adult. It was the norm and it was something you did when you were more mature. Um, so yeah, I started a little bit later. Um, when I started work and used to go out with friends and that peer pressure obviously caves in. Um, and started with the most sickliest, sweetest drink because it was the only thing that I could cope with. I remember having a, a lager online. And having about three sips and going, Oh my God, I'm really drunk. And, you know, <laughs> obviously I wouldn't have been off three sips. Ugh, um, see you both. So then, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then I mean, that was it. That was as much as was drunk of that drink. Yeah. But then um, I moved on to do you remember the old, um, orange wicked.
0: Oh you used to God. Get? Make your tongue go a funny color.
1: Yeah, you used to wake up in the morning, what had I drank, and then you'd know because your colour would be, your tongue would be bright orange or blue, or yeah, that's how you'd know. And that's
0: what made them appealing, wasn't it? And and nowadays, yes. on the shelves in the supermarkets, you get the coloured gins, and I see them right in front of you, and people picking them up, going, Oh, this will make a lovely present. You know, the visuals of a drink um, is all marketing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, even like the gold foil and and things like that that you find in gins and to make the alcohol infuse into your blood that little bit quicker. Yeah. Which just seems absolutely inc- incredible now. It's crazy, but um, I'm sure I've bought that for people in the past as a present.
0: And we go for the pain barrier, right? Because even, I mean, let's face it, alcohol isn't nice, you know, you, you no. get, you might get the odd wine connoisseur saying, I'm talking rubbish, but for the majority of people, when they first take a mouthful of alcohol, it's disgusting. A bit like when you have your first drag on the fag, it's like, oh my God, that is hideous. But as you say, because of the peer pressure... Uh, And all the rest of it, you like go along with it and then you get the feel of the drug, and then you feel, oh, that feels nice. I feel more relaxed, more confident. I'm funny. People are laughing at my jokes and that. And that's what draws you in, isn't it?
1: And I was the most anxious, nervous child you would ever meet. Um, You know, I couldn't speak to people naturally um and so alcohol was a huge thing for me to get rid of those nerves to go even the you know i mean you've probably done it yourself we've all done it the pre-drinks so you Mm -hmm. had to pre-game it before you went out because that was the only way that you had any courage to actually go out in the first place so i mean that was my late teens um early 20s um you know i mean and i heard many people talk to you about the LADEC culture and for me, it was never really the Ladette culture. It was the girl power at the time. It was Spice Girls. It was All Saints. It was, and you know, the girls at the time, we all wanted to be those girls. I wanted to be Baby Spice every time. Um so it was like the the fluffiest, pinkest drinks that you could get hold of, the cocktails, the, mm. you know, you you wanted to be able to be empowered and do what you wanted to do. Um, and that involved going out drinking every weekend and just washing away the difficulties of a stressful week and, you know, and then back to square one, you were back in on Monday with your hangover still.
0: And you still kind of never really drank in the week or unless it was a special occasion, you know. You, like, I know that was the truth for me. My, I mean, I was a right old man when I was younger. I was in the bloody darts team, right? <laughs> uh, with with blokes, I thought were decrepit that are probably 10 years younger than what I am now. <laughs> but. You know, it might be a Wednesday night down the Skinner's Arms in Act Bridge and a, a few games of darts and that, but it was never like a, a session. It was two or three beers, you know. Um, but it was like more sociable back then, wasn't it? It was like you, yeah. you only drink when you go out, uh, and then later on it all changes, doesn't it? So late teens, early 20s, is that when you met Nikki?
1: So, yeah, um, I would say I met my husband when I was 21 and his best friend uh, was married to Nikki, or as I came to call the knickknack, absolutely no idea why, but it was just the nickname, the fond nickname that we gave her. Um, To explain Nikki a little bit, she was this little fiery redhead ball of happiness that, you know, you knew if she was in the room, she was Renowned for the hi babe everywhere. I mean, she worked as a manager in numerous shops and um, throughout the town that I live in and everybody knew Nikki. Um, because, and she made friends with everybody so easily. Um, so she was just like a lovely person to be around. And yeah, I mean, we all started going out as you do in couples and in groups. Um, and that's really, I mean, never noticed anything unusual about Nikki. She'd had some trauma in her childhood, um, more towards her late teens, with things to do with parents and um but nothing significant that would, you know, make anything stand out. Um but and she generally in the beginning drank the same as we did. You know, she'd we'd go through a bottle of wine and um it was only sort of as things progressed through our twenties and I started to notice just a few little things. Um, on nights out maybe she would drink she could go through a lot more than we did but at the time it was a joke it was oh look how much because you know what it's like and it's very much with lads with men uh, oh they can hold their beer they they can take it you know it's, it's like a pride isn't it
0: champion it, it you know like my yeah. I was glugs, and it was like glugs is in the pub like we're all on the sesh and I would go through 10-12 I would do the whole session on the Sunday from midday to kicking out time in the night. And people would come and yeah. go, bring their families in, leave, come back on their own after Sunday rows, go home, you know. But I was championed because of the amount I was drinking. And no one ever really said to me, are you okay, Dave? And I, I, I been, know what the answer would have been as well.
1: You'd have been seen as an inspiration because, yeah. wow. So I, and essentially, I suppose there was an element of I did with Nikki. But then there was a side, I mean, we went out one night and, you know, I wasn't a wine drinker at the time. And, but she went through three bottles of wine, which many people might go, well, it's not a lot, but it was a lot for me. If I'd have had one bottle, I'd have been on the floor. um, And she drank three bottles of wine throughout the night and was coherent, walked normally, acted, was completely sober on three bottles of wine. And I remember thinking, How on earth could you drink that and still be completely fine? Your tolerance must be so high. She never had a hangover, so she told me, um, which I think led to her drinking more and more often. But it's going to sound crazy, and I don't know if everybody thinks the same as me, but I thought everybody drank like I did. So Nikki is the same as me, so she would have drank like I did. I might have a couple through the week if I went for a meal. At the weekend I'd absolutely slam it because then I was back at work. And so she for me, she only really drank at the weekend. I obviously didn't know what was happening through the week in her house and you know, so I, I don't know if everybody else is the same as me and
0: Well, it's an interesting thought. I mean, the thing is as well, um, that when you've got a drinking problem, it's not something you outwardly broadcast. So I think the three bottles of wine. And also it's funny. Um, now you would notice it more because you don't drink. Um, at the time, if you're drinking, it appears that they're sober. Um, but now I know if someone's had one or two drinks, you know, I'm really sensitive to it, you know, by a lot of things. So when we're all drinking together, it's the content you're noticing and you're not noticing actually she probably is drunk and, but covers it up well. Because I used to cover it up. Well, you know, people just say you're yeah. a machine, Dave. You, I've never known anyone like it, and all that business. But I was probably absolutely mullered. and also was nothing ever said like with your husband and his his mate, like uh, that never. discussion. So it was no, not
1: it was seen. It was seen as normal, and it's you know I, I've heard it said many a time about these magic people who can have one drink and. I wouldn't have said, I class myself as being a sober, curious person, maybe a grey area drinker, but I don't know of anybody who, and I've asked multiple friends, can you go out and have one glass of wine and that be it? And every single person has said no. And, you know, for me, when I went out, I went out, I drank and to the point where I was dizzy kind of thing. But I know with Nikki, Nicky's was you know she was the party house person so we always went to, we either went out or we went to her house and at the end of the night she'd normally be passed out on the floor but at that age that was funny i i have pictures of her passed out on the floor because that was funny that was oh you know she's had a good time she's enjoyed it and this is how you end a good night passed out on the floor it's only now obviously you look back and think oh god you know, why didn't I spot these things? Why didn't I notice them? Um, so yeah, um, it, it can we carried on obviously through our twenties and then we reach our early thirties. And um, Nikki is now, she's a mother of two and um, she's working still as a manager in a, opening a brand new store. And then um, she's starting to find difficulties with her eyesight. Um, she goes to the doctor. And they do all sorts of tests and they find nothing. Um, I'd say it was about a year or so after that. Um, she started to have difficulties. She woke up one night and had difficulties with her legs and went to go to the toilet through the night and couldn't move her legs at all. Um, so her fiance had to basically carry her to, um, to get a taxi and get to the hospital. Um, in the hospital, unbeknownst to us, um, she was basically told that the issue she had related to alcohol, and that I've been told since she was furious about that. Um, I have to say, can kind of cut segue away a bit. Nikki was constantly in denial, even then when it was completely obvious alcohol was an issue. Um, and I don't think I treated the whole thing properly uh, in terms of how I spoke to her. Even um, she would constantly deny to me that she was an alcoholic. Um so obviously, if the doctors turned around and said, "You have an alcohol issue, she again fiery redhead would not accept it. Nothing to do with alcohol; they're just not helping me. they're not supporting me so yeah, so we're in her early thirties um she is wheelchair bound um really struggling with her eyesight um and obviously she can't work anymore now, I think there's an element of um loneliness. Comes into this now because this is somebody who is a very social person and loves to be around people, loves talking. um, And obviously, she lost that quite quickly. And I think the depths of the alcoholism then really started to take over. She tried, she pulled away a lot from friends, family, I think because she was embarrassed as well about the situation. But in the end, um, she spent the last sort of 10 years. incontinent and um, again lost most of the sight and um, in extreme pain and, and this is the thing that I want to get across we have this visual image of um the alcoholic being they drink they drink they drink they drink they die but that is not always the case Nikki's she had 10 years her 30s of extreme pain to the point that after she passed her fiance told me for the last three years of her life That she um, couldn't be touched. She couldn't be hugged because every time her body was in such intense pain that she wouldn't let anybody near her. So it's not the same situation for everybody. Um, it really just to get that point across. But, um, so yeah, so, um, so she spent the 10 years, um, with, with severe ill health. Um, and again, we would go and visit her. We'd have the conversations with her. I think we were starting to see the effects that it was alcohol. She went into hospital at one point. So when she went to the hospital with um, not being able to move her legs, um, she was in um, one of the hospitals for six months. And uh, she came out walking on like a Zimmer frame. And she looked so well. She looked amazing. And then a few months later, again, she was back to the position where she couldn't walk. And then again, say a year later, she went into hospital for four months. Um, It was around my 40th birthday. um, And she came to the party yellow, completely yellow. Her eyes were yellow. Um, Her stomach and her legs and everything was so swollen. And I said to her fiance at the time, she needs to go to hospital. And she went in the following day and they were, they, I mean, they spent weeks draining her stomach. bladder. It was so painful for her. Um, but again, she came out about four or five months later, a lot better. And then within a few months again, everything started to decline. So there was this cycle there repeatedly. She'd go into hospital. She'd massively improve. She'd come out. She was secretly drinking. We didn't know. Um, and then it would start to decline. I always took her for her appointments. So if she was having any assessments, if she needed any treatment and on the way home, she, I bear in mind, I had no idea what was going on in the background at this point. And she used to say to me, could we just stop at the shop and get some cigarettes and a box of wine? And I was thinking again, as I said before, everybody drinks like me. This is how I saw it. So that box of wine is lasting her a week. So I'd go to the shop, she'd get the box of wine and then I found out later on that literally was that evening. And then she'd have to go to the shop the next day. Um, And then it obviously got worse and worse to the point that when she was going yellow, I found out that she was on three boxes of wine a day. So, what are we talking about there? Nine bottles?
0: Yeah. It depends on the size of the boxes as well. uh, Because it was three litre boxes of four bottles of wine.
1: It was like three pound box of what because bear in mind she wasn't working at the time so she couldn't afford the real rubbish um and then that was that was about the time of my 40th um and then so and she she did sort of last I say last but again she was very very ill and it went on for about another two years. Um we obviously tried to have interventions. Unfortunately the last conversation I had with Nikki um I went round to our house and sat on her bed as she sat there. She was at the point then when, obviously, the incontinence was so severe. She was on multiple tablets. Well, we found out afterwards she actually wasn't taking any of the tablets. I think they were interfering with the alcohol. So she had a choice between the alcohol or the tablets. So she chose the alcohol. Um, and I sat and tried to do a bit of an intervention with her to try and say, look, you know, I, you really need to stop drinking. Think about the children. I didn't do it in the right way. I didn't treat it in the right way. Um, so yeah, so I, I she didn't listen to me. And I found out that night that, um, from a fiance that what she used to do was she'd put an order in with Asda or Tesco or somewhere like that. Um, and she'd have them deliver at two o'clock in the morning when they were all in bed. So she managed to drag herself out of bed into the wheelchair and then wheel herself to the front door before two o'clock in the morning. And she'd open the door and have the door open and she'd wait for the delivery man to come with like four bottles of wine just so that she could do it secretly. So that her fiancé and her son didn't know that she was, you know, she was getting the bottles of wine. And even the last sort of time, that proper time I saw her, she told me she wasn't drinking wine anymore because they had this idea that, if they moved to beer, then it wasn't as strong. So it wasn't damaging, damaging her body. And I think she was moving, was it Stella? Um, which I think somebody's told me is still quite a strong beer, you know, so it didn't make that much difference. Um, so yeah, so it's the birthday, um, at the weekend of her son's 18th birthday. Um, she'd gone to some event with him and she was delirious. Um, she was talking to her daughter who wasn't there. She was talking on an imaginary phone, so had like a phone to her head, which wasn't there. Um, and they knew, obviously, that something was wrong. So they took her back to the hotel that they were staying in. Um, and when she got home, um her fiancé put her to bed. She didn't want to be touched. She was in agony all the way home, um, wouldn't be touched, uh, managed to manoeuvre herself onto the bed and just lay on the bed. Then he went to work and the next morning came back and she was basically passed out, um, on the bed, still half clothed. And then he ran for an ambulance and she was taken into hospital. We had a phone call that night to basically say the likelihood is she's not going to make it and you need to come in now. So we went into the hospital and, um, spent the night with her. Um, it was pretty horrific to see. It's, it's, I've been told it's quite a painful death. It's not the easiest thing to see. Um, but she was told basically, or we were told that she'd have three hours. She actually lasted three days because again, firecracker Nikki, you know, she, she wouldn't let go. Her children did come in to see her and the, um, the hospital at the time, they did these beautiful little handprints and it took a cutting of her hair and it made everything as beautiful as they possibly could for them. She as I said, she lasted about another three days and we were sat with her. We'd gone home the night before. Um, and her mother and father had stayed with us through the night. And when we got there, the day before had been quite I say angry, upsetting. Um there was a lot of words said because I think we were so upset by what had happened. Um, how had we got here? Was there nothing we could have done or said? There's been a lot of guilt since, I think, that we didn't do enough. Um, and so the day that she actually passed away, I'd wanted it to be nice and relaxing for her. So I downloaded, um, a few songs for her, um, some of her favorites. So George Michael, who should probably be pestering up there right now. Um, you know, she, I downloaded some songs and as the songs played through, we hit this song and it's called Amazing. And the words to the song were, um, I never thought this day would come. Um, I never thought that my saviour would come. I think it's amazing. I think you're amazing. Sorry, choking on now. And um, I was watching her chest as, as she was taking that last breath. And she literally took her last breath as the words, I think you're amazing. And it was like she, I don't know what I believe, but it's like she was literally telling us, I think you're amazing. All of you, thanks for being here kind of thing. And then she passed away, so yeah, so it's it's it was coming to terms with the fact that you've just lost somebody that you love so deeply, and the only way that I can deal with that kind of a loss is the obvious solution. Mm. I went out and got drunk.
0: but I imagine as well, um you've been through so much as well, and also really not knowing quite what to do because we know more now with the organisations that we know where we can get support. But at the time, it's so hard, isn't it? Like you say, you know, you get a box of wine because they, they can almost like persuade you into I've done it myself, you know. Yeah. Um, and it, you're caught in the middle, aren't you? So that's yeah. where the guilt comes now. You, you're thinking, did I do the wrong thing? Could I have done more? but it sounded like to me that I, I'm not sure what you could have done.
1: I think I repeatedly, and I think we we kind of, we tried to guilt her. We tried to, we didn't intend to shame her, but I think we did. I think we tried to do everything that we possibly could and say everything that we possibly could. I refused to drink around her, mm. and, and I told her that, that I'd never touch alcohol with her um i i said you know i know her fiance shouted at her more than once she'd made a comment to say that she was upset scared that she'd never see her daughter walk down the aisle and i know the comment was said to her well you're not even going to be here when your daughter walks down the aisle yeah um we tr- because we were so upset and we at the time we couldn't understand why can't you just stop yeah. this doesn't make sense like i used to say what is the bottom? What is the lowest she can go? Mm. How low can this get? So um, obviously not knowing what I know now. You know, for me, I even called um, sort of a, an alcoholic's helpline for people with alcoholism. and just said to them, look, help me. Help me help her. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say to her. I think at the time it was one of those things where I thought I can stop her from drinking not realising, as I do now, no one could make her stop drinking. It was her decision and it was her decision alone. Mm. Um, We have a feeling that she was told the month before, because before she passed away, she'd been into the hospital twice before that um, with infections and um, her nutrition was so poor, she just didn't eat. And we have a feeling that maybe she was told um, the hospital visit before she died that basically she didn't have long left. Because the irony is, it was about a thirty-day difference, and she gave up alcohol. Mm-hmm. And when we came back to her bungalow after she passed away, there was this two massive crates of alcohol-free copperberg. And you know, she contacted the doctor and told the doctor that she was an alcoholic and she needed help. And the doctor basically put her on a waiting list for counselling. So she, she, we think she knew. She never told us. I, I actually think that a brain. I was struggling so much with the alcohol because obviously we know what happens than what we drink and what happens with our brain. Um, but I think she was just struggling that much that I don't think she really understood what was going on around her. Mm. Um, for me now, knowing what I know now, for any family members, it is the hardest thing to go through. But my advice would be join the community, become part of the community. Do what somebody who's going sober would do. If that means giving up alcohol yourself, do it. That's what I should have done. I should have joined her so that she had someone who understood who was with her. Read the quit lit books, understand the terminology, listen to the podcasts. Everything that you would do if you were giving up alcohol, for me, if I was now, if I could go back, that's what I'd do. Understand her.
0: Yeah, education is so important, isn't it? Hugely. Um, so you went out that night and got drunk. Um, yeah. Blind drunk, probably.
1: Yeah. Because this very. had been
0: a, a build-up over the years, hadn't it? And um, yeah. what happened the next day?
1: Pure, utter guilt, disbelief that I'd done it, regret, anxiety, uh, you know, everybody who, who's listening will probably completely understand about the, you know, the anxiety element. But every time I drank, the period between um Nikki passing away and me getting sober is about a month, a month and a half. And in between that, I drank more than I normally did. And obviously that must have been just to deal with the grief. And, you know, it's so difficult. It was the first person I'd ever seen pass away as well. Um, I'd lost my best friends. I'd lost my compass in a sense. Um, You know, I had didn't have that person to go to. So I dealt with it in the wrong way and I drank a lot. But it was different this time because every time that alcohol passed my lips, that thing, that liquid had taken my best friend away from me. And I had this immense guilt. And even as I drank, I would say to my husband and to my friends, I feel really guilty doing this. And the response that I got back was, "But well, Nikki wouldn't want you to give up alcohol. Nikki wouldn't want you to do that. She'd want you to carry on and enjoy your life. And it just didn't sit well with me. Um, so I carried on until um, the 21st of June last year. And um, I'd gone out on a night out to watch a gig. And I've suffered for years and years and years with numerous health issues. Um, and one of them being fibromyalgia, so severe body pain. And I woke up that morning um, with just severe body pain. And I thought for years, I wonder if alcohol contributed to it and made the decision. And I remember having to do like a four hour drive home, just in absolute agony and saying to my husband, that's it. I'm giving up, which I thought would be easy because I'm not a heavy drinker. I don't drink a lot. I'm sort of that moderate drinker. Um, but no, it, it was it, it still had its complexities. It still had that period of wine which is still there, no matter how much you drink. Um, you know, it, it's still a period of growth. You 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 still find out a lot about yourself. The first three weeks for me was the biggest difficulty. Um and then after that it's just gotten more and more beautiful as I've gone along. It's just such it's such a wonderful thing.
0: It's interesting as well what was said to you, um, Nikki would have wanted you to enjoy your life. I know. But that's why it probably hit because that after that statement is probably well, I'm not, I'm not enjoying my life. I'm self medicating, and, and this is the narrative that goes out. Go and have a drink, enjoy yourself. And it's a majority of the time when alcohol becomes a problem, we don't enjoy ourselves. We medicate, and and yeah. and that's the the narrative, isn't it? Of people that don't have a problem or they don't quite understand it, and. You know, I think with Nikki as well, um, she got to a point that it was pure medication because she probably didn't know how to get out of it herself, right? And back then as well, maybe there, she wasn't aware of any support of the community. I mean, how how do you think things would be different for her now if she knew about us lot? Oh,
1: uh, I think she would still be here, in all honesty. See, I didn't know anything about the sober community. And again, as I said before, if, if you're a family member, um, of somebody struggling, um, join the community, set up a page on Instagram, um, and start to, because you, you, those posts every day are so supportive. I've never met a community who is as supportive as the sober community that if you slip, have you blip, whatever, they don't sit there and chastise you. They literally boost you up I mean I've had people phoning me you know right just when I'm not I'm struggling a little bit they'll phone me like right what can I do what do you need and you know these essentially are relatively strangers you know but they're there for you every single step um but I think she was lonely and I think there's a lot of loneliness that goes on within um you know alcoholism and I think when and I don't know if it happened with you, but I think you shut yourself away Absolutely. a lot
0: more. Because we're full of self-loathing. You know, when, when you described her as this gregarious, um fun person, it reminded me of the girl under the table in four weddings and a funeral that she, you know, unfortunately she's not with us anymore. But, you know, that fun character that lit up the room when she walked in and knew everyone, and and alcohol erodes you of all of the joy and fun element of life, and you do become solitary and lonely and lost, you know. And I always look at it, that in sobriety, that's the last place you want to be, right, because it's like floating, treading water in the sea, and you look around and you can't see land, right? In when you're drinking. So when you stop drinking, you that's the last thing you need. You need to reach out for support. And you're right on what you say about the community. It's there are so many elements to it as well. So many different options these days that never used to be, you know, it was AA and that was it. But now yeah. there are so many groups, ambassadors over the country that arranged hiking walks. There's talks you can listen to, YouTube videos books podcasts you know there's so many options you know
1: i went to um a sober rave in march and i think it was one of the to see so many people just letting go just being so free enjoying themselves connecting and it's one of the most beautiful things that i've seen and to think that there was not one drop of alcohol. Yeah, I know. Present in that building was just absolutely phenomenal. But I think you hit the nail on the head, especially with Nikki. It's so poignant what you've said because this was a girl who had fight in her and she would argue back. She, she would give it to you. If she felt you were wrong, she would tell you and she disappeared. And I, I can remember a number of times her fiance would say something to her and she'd go, okay, babe, okay. And it was so, it was so not Nikki. I just her voice disappeared, and even he said that, yeah, her fiance. He said, you know, just say something to me, just answer back to me, because she she just didn't have a voice to do it anymore. I think there was a lot of depression there. Um, I think she didn't know how to deal with. I mean, I spoke to her numerous times and said, have you ever thought that it's the alcohol that's causing the health issues? Look at the cycle: you go into hospital, you get better. You come back out, and I think the alcohol just had such a grab, such a hold on her, that she just didn't know any other way. She did do six months free, alcohol free, um, when she came out at one point, because she was in the hospital numerous times. Um And she actually went out with a friend, and she drank with that friend, and that was it. Then she was back on it. So, again... The other thing obviously is, um, you know, especially if you're in the early days of sobriety, choose the people that you go out with wisely because they can really influence what Absolutely. you do and how your sobriety goes.
0: I've heard that story before. It was a dreadful story of someone that had done a considerable amount of time. And this person kept saying to him, oh, you're so boring that you're sober now. Go on, just have one, just have one. And one forced one. And the partner come to me and said you've got to do something he's been on it for 2 weeks solid because of this just the one you know it's the most selfish act just to to support their drinking the other person's drinking i think it's vile actually but you're right what you said about community because i have quite a lot of partners family members siblings follow me to try and get education and understand it you know sarah drage you know she sent me a ted talk about her dad and i watched that and as i said before we've we've become very close but i can help answer some of her questions that she didn't manage to ask her dad you know so from my perspective so it it's not just about the community I want to stop drinking. It's about the education they can offer, maybe to help them as well. So, how how are her fiance and kids now?
1: Um, oh it's uh, her fiance's still struggling. Uh, we're about eighteen months later. Um, he's still really struggling with it. Um, I speak to him quite regularly. Um, I think it's. I don't think he believed it was ever going to happen. Mm. In fact, when she actually passed that, I was watching her chest as she took her last breath and he was kind of gabbing away, um, which he always does. And I had to to say to him, look, she's gone. And he just couldn't. He was in pure disbelief that she'd gone. Um, And her children um, are so resilient as children are. Um, The hardest part for me... And funnily enough, I was talking to another member of the community about this, who has lost a family member. You don't feel like because they they died of alcoholism, it's as if. And I've had this comment said to me: "It was her own fault. She did this to herself." Yeah. And it's as if you can't talk about them. You're not yeah. like if it was your grandma who passed away from old age. You talk about Nana. You know, it, it's fine. But because she died from something like alcoholism. I'm not allowed to mention her name. And I think that's been one of the cathartic elements for me with the community is they've been so open. And numerous people have messaged me and said, thank you for saying, telling Nikki's story. Um, I feel like I know her. And that's so lovely for me because it's as if I'm keeping her alive, as if she is still alive because so many people know about her. Um, Her children obviously struggle to talk about her still. Um, but they're doing well. They are doing very well. Um, you know, they've, they've got a wonderful dad and a wonderful stepmom. So, um, and the beautiful thing is, their stepmom talks about her as well. So, you know, um, it's it's great that we are keeping our voice alive, kind of thing.
0: And what you say about the shame and the stigma there stops people getting help as well. Yeah, because they're frightened of being judged. They're frightened of going to hospital or the doctors and saying, look, I've got a real heavy problem with alcohol. And as you said earlier on, she was put on the list for counselling, a big, huge, long list. And half the time they say, well, we can't help you until you stop drinking anyway.
1: yeah.
0: So, you know, with it all mixed in, it's like, where do I go with this? I'm back to drinking again because I don't know where to get the support. And it's got to change because the rolling of the eyes when you go out, oh, well, you know, but they don't roll their eyes when someone's died of a heart attack or stroke because they're, they're not eating correctly or, or, you know, there's a huge stigma around this. And I think...
1: And I, yeah, and I made um, comments or jokes um, years and years when she was in her early 30s, or late 20s probably, about how oh she was never going to make 40 there's no way nikki's going to make 40 the way she's going because you know she would drink so i mean we go around to her house and she had the box of wine in the fridge and it was literally it was like it was tap water it would be and it would be downed and it would be back and then it'd be another box in the fridge and um and like i used to sort of joke and say she ain't gonna make 40 she smokes heavily she drinks she eats appallingly she's so highly stressed with her job she does too many hours at work. And, and I mean, I mean, typical Nikki fighter, she made it to 41. She did it to prove me wrong. But, uh, you know, it, the body can't stand that. It can't keep mm. doing it. But I mean, I, I, we even contacted the doctor for her because again, she was in complete denial all the way through. And we contacted the doctor and said to the doctor, look, she is an alcoholic. And um, you know, she's an alcoholic. What can we do? And the response we got back was, We can't do anything until she comes and admits herself. So it's so hard for the person themselves, the family, the friends. You know, you just feel like you're in this vicious cycle of of the same day over and over again, and you're just watching that person die. It's pretty horrific.
0: I know. How are you?
1: Fantastic. I am four hundred and fifty-one days in, to be exact. Um. Fantastic. I mean, I I didn't expect massive massive improvements in health, um, massive improvements in confidence. I don't think you realise half the things that are going to happen when you go sober. Your eyes are opened a lot to the social elements as well, Um, and how difficult it is. I I I keep thinking how hard it would have been for Nikki to be sober in this this world, Um, you know, but. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Um, I feel like I'm on year two, obviously. So I feel like I'm actually getting there. I feel like I'm on, on, on the track now to, to, I think year one for me was about understanding alcohol and understanding myself and building my confidence. Whereas year two, I think I'm ready for it now.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Year two's different, isn't it? Because you've done most things in year one and you're navigating yeah. it. it. It's learning to walk again. It's like, I always say it's like getting out of prison and the world looks different. Um, And you, you either rob the post office and go back in or you carry on. Um, and it's all different, year three, year four. You know, it, it changes. Yeah, it absolutely changes. But I think probably for you, it was learning to how to deal with the emotions in the first year, wasn't it? To, yeah. You know, the first bit is actually working out how not to drink, what to do in the, what I call the opening hours where you fancy a drink at six and that can go on till half eight, nine. So that I must keep busy. I must watch something on Netflix or I must go for walking that. But then after a few weeks, months, it's like, I don't know how to manage my feelings. So I imagine they come up um, quite a lot as well for you. And the second.
1: Yeah. Sorry. I feel like I'm 16 again, in the sense of, yeah. I'm, I'm having to relearn how to be social, how to, as you said, deal with my emotions. I can remember we went to a family member's 50th birthday and my husband at the time, he wasn't drinking that night and I didn't drink. And we both came home and we stood in the kitchen at like three o'clock in the morning, making a sandwich as you do. I can remember that pure euphoria of having such a great night out, feeling every little bit, because I think we forget the fact that when we diminish the negative feelings when we drink we diminish the good feelings as well when we drink Mm. and having pure euphoria of having such a great night out Mm. not having to worry about anybody and just absolutely smiling the entire time and saying to my husband how great is this how wonderful is this that you can go on a night out feel like have danced have enjoyed yourself and then come home go to bed and then wake up at dot o'clock in the morning and enjoy your sunday it's just
0: I wish I'd have known about this years ago. Well, I always say years ago, we weren't obviously ready and you get to a point where yeah. it changes. You know, um, I, I have this visual of the poison ivy where it, it starts to wind itself around your toe in the early years when it starts becoming more of a habit, you know, when you start to use it as a coping mechanism and then gradually it winds itself around your neck. And I think that's where Nikki got, she felt completely suffocated in her life, didn't know there was a way out. And and that's why she kept reverting back to it when she came out of hospital. It's like, right, I'm okay now. And we kind of justify it in a way, you know, I've survived that, I'm okay again. And I did that in Eastbourne, you know, I don't know how I get I've said it a million times, but how I survived that, but within three days I was back to drinking again, you know? And it's what happens. But luckily, I had like an intervention from a friend where it wasn't even the intervention, it was that text message. But I, it was the right time for me is what I'm saying. You know, it's like I'd had enough by then and it was perfect timing. And I think the catalogue of events that's happened to you and seeing how Nikki died your two and a half months after of drinking, that you thought, right enough's enough now and you're doing such a fabulous job you know raising awareness of incredible harms of alcohol is so important your account is brilliant Uh, and and i think she would be extremely proud of you and this is where you can kind of pay back in society isn't it by helping others yeah by you know even with this podcast people hearing this and it's not a comfortable one to hear right because there are going to be people listening to this who are in the depths of addiction, really struggling with alcohol, thinking, God, I feel absolutely depressed now. But hearing these stories can plant the seed to make you think enough's enough.
1: And what I would say to that is, is: there is a way out, you are proof that that, there is a way out. And for me, I think it's get the counselling, get the support. There is, as we know from, you know, we're hearing a lot more from people like Gabor Mate, and uh, there's a lot of trauma revolved around addiction. And I think Nikki had some trauma, some some issues from her childhood, from her sort of late teens that I don't think she ever resolved them. You know, for most of us, and I repeatedly hear this, it is what it is is the phrase that's constantly said mm. when we basically we just push down all our feelings and we don't actually deal with them. And I think they're going to bubble up. They're going to come out in some way at some point. Um, And I think Nikki's way of dealing with life, it began with just a couple of glasses of wine and then it just grew and grew and grew. I don't think anybody who's an alcoholic, well, I may be wrong, but um, doesn't suddenly go from one glass to three boxes of wine overnight. It is a slow progression. Mm -hmm. So even, you know, there's a lot of people I know who probably listen to you who maybe just having that one bottle a night or, you know, really, really think about how you're progressing and, you know, try and stop it before it goes too far.
0: Yeah, well, one bottle a night is too far. But I always say as well, um, quite often what happens is you want the extra one out of the second bottle and within no time at all, you're on two bottles of wine a night. And that is quite common, you know, like the slippery slope of, Like, I'm drinking half a bottle of wine and now I'm drinking a bottle can go to easily that's that next glass to easily two bottles within a few months. Um, and then every day, you know, so it, and that's the hideousness of, you know, alcohol addiction. It's, yeah, it's hideous.
1: And we're losing, I, for me, and I talked to, um, other, fat people and um, families who have lost somebody. We're losing the biggest hearts. We're losing the people with the biggest hearts and with the biggest presences. And if you'd have met Nikki, you know, as I, I've said before, she should be here. She should be doing this. It shouldn't be me. Um she should be the one with the, the account. She should be the one who's telling you her successes. And I wish she was here with me. But she had such a big heart and I think they feel things more deeply. I think mm. she she took everything more deeply and her way of of coping with it was the alcohol. But there are other ways that you can cope with it. And there is this beautiful other side out there. And there is this incredible community. I, that That's the bit that I'll keep repeating because mm. the community is there to help. I mean, I voice note numerous um, sober buddies, as I call them. And I think I speak to my sober friends more than I speak to my own mum. We're, we're, we're constantly in contact with each other to, and they're championing me on all the way. So, you know, make those friends, make those connections. Um, they will be, and, and even go to the meetups as terrifying as that oh, yeah. sounds, walking into a room with complete strangers. You have one thing in connection, sobriety. It's so easy to talk about. You yeah. see, What's your favorite alcohol free drink? It's as simple as that. Yeah. So you know go to the
0: sober meetups they're everywhere yeah i know i've held about seven now and and people leave there and that they can be life-changing because you've got real connection haven't you you've you know authentic connection you don't need the booze um most people are absolutely exhausted the next day though because that literally yeah. that's so when you remember it all as well
1: there, oh. there's, a, there's there's like an emotional fatigue. I, I do feel, and I tell you another thing as well. Everything's louder. Know, even when we went to the sober rave, everything feels so much louder. It is.
0: You're more is that because intrigued? I'm sober,
1: bored. I'm getting old. I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, I I get that. I, I go out some. I say it's so loud. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think you're sensitive more to to volume. Yeah. Like, it's a, it's a an odd thing, but I've noticed that as well. Heather, I'm so grateful that you've um, come on today and and shared the story of Nikki. Um, and you said before we start, you feel she's around. You know, I get that. I feel like my mum's with me every single day. In fact, I've got a lovely little memorial garden there. I sit there at wow. night, and I've got um, like lovely little solar lights around it, and I chat to her, and, and I feel she's with me as well. So. I totally get that. And she would be looking at you now going, That's my girl.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: <laughs> yeah. So so thank you. Um, all the details of your account uh on the show notes. I think people should give you a follow, champion you. What you're doing is amazing, spreading the story as well. So you should be really proud of yourself. I am of thank you. you. So I appreciate
1: that.
0: Thank you so much for joining me. And maybe one day I'll meet you at a sober rave Sounds great.
1: Sounds perfect. With our earphones in.
0: Yeah. yeah and our blankets <laughs> on our lap. All yeah. <laughs> cool right, Eva, Thank you so much. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed the show today. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For further support, you can buy my book, One for the Road, on Amazon. And you can also follow me on Instagram at soberdave. Please remember to join me for next week's episode. Until then, thanks for listening and have a great week.